My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a real treat to be with you today. We've been in and out so much over the last couple of months that it just very much feels like my soul this week and this morning, I was up real early this morning and just saying, God, I'm just hungry for for the church, the body of Christ at work, but also just for God's word to, to be at work. And, and, and I had this real sense, uh, as I said in this this week, I had a real sense that there are a lot of us, myself included at times, who just think we, we just go to church and we hear something either good or bad or however the person in my spot does, and we either like it or we don't. And what I want to call us back to, and maybe, maybe even open our eyes to, is that God works. That this spirit that, that moves mountains, that this spirit that, that calms storms, this spirit that stood up the sea uh, is still at work even today. And, and this God is actually able and willing to work right now in our lives, not just yours, mine as well, in our lives. And so I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me and, and ask that we would be people who do more than just attend a service, but are truly asking God to work in our hearts today. And maybe that prayer is like, God, I don't even know, but I hope you can. Or maybe it's a desperate prayer, which is like, God, I, I so need you today. So Father, I just thank you for these people who are gathered today. They, they are ministering to my heart. And, and I pray, God, that today would be something that is at work in them and a reminder that, that Lord, you are able. In all the ways that I am not able, you are. In all the ways that I bring my insufficiencies to bear, uh, you are all sufficient. In all the areas where I have no power, no authority, no, no claim or right, uh, you have all of that, Lord. And we ask that you would move today and bring hope to the hopeless. I pray that you would bring life to the lifeless. God, that you would stir our hearts and remind us that you are a redeeming God who takes our brokenness and brings beauty and uses it for your good. And so, Lord, in all the ways that we need your spirit to move today, I pray that you would do that in our midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're in, we're in these, we're in Mark, we're in a long study of Mark, and we're in the parables right now. We've got these three parables today, and I just want to set this up for you real fast. I wanted to say these parables are like an open window to see the teachings of God differently. And we approach this a lot of ways. We, sometimes we think of it as just like nice moral things, but actually these parables hold so much more for us that are actually helpful. And let me, let me kind of back up and give you a, a couple of pictures in our life to then lead to pictures from the scriptures of this. This past week, I found myself standing over uh, an open casket. We, we have found ourselves at a lot of funerals, uh, having a lot of death around us in the last few months. And, and once again, this week, we're, we're there at an open casket. And at least in my life and maybe yours, like it it, it just, it's not something I ever get real comfortable with. It's always painful. And, and then you stand over this loved one or this friend or, or someone in your life. And in our case, it was a loved one where you're just standing there and you're like, man, he's, he's clearly not there anymore. He's not there. There's no life. 
And we, we, we understand that, right? We understand that. But you're standing over it and you like, you feel it in a different way and you feel like there's no life here. And, and then you see your friend or your loved one and you're like, like what's, what's different? Well, like it isn't just that their heart stopped beating, it's that their soul, their soul's not there. Their soul's not there. And it made me think because I had this really traumatic experience. It was like truly traumatic experience where I went from this and then, and then a couple hours later, I end up uh, getting gas and outside in the middle of the day at the gas station is this 20 something year old female who is just completely passed out on the ground right there in front of me. And l- listen, I have a house full of daughters. And so like, I feel this, right? I feel this, and and for all the things, this isn't a this isn't a like a claim on her life in any way. I think that she would say, and I think that the conversation would go something to the effect of like that this isn't what she had planned for her life. I think it's safe to assume like this wasn't in her plans. This isn't how she thought it would end up. And, and like, we see people like this all the time, not to this extreme, not in this way, but people who are going through life and, and, and they're not to the point of death yet, but they are like, how does Princess Bride talk about it? Like half dead. Like we go through life like these zombies where, where we're just kind of going through it. And you see it all the time at the airport. Everybody at the airport is half dead. Everybody at the airport has had life sucked out of them. Everybody at the airport is just like going through the motions of pain. But we have this in other things too. I, I think of the, I, I think of like the, the person who's stuck in a job that feels like their life is drying up right before them. I think of the, the people who, who got married to fulfill the, themselves, something longing in themselves, and now they're like, this is not what I thought it would be. And I want you to know, like, not just in a symposium, but like, uh, God brings beauty from tough things, from brokenness and what seems like lifeless stuff. We, we believe in a redeeming God, which is where we want to go to in this, but you can go on and on. And I don't know what you're carrying, whether you're a teenager or whether you're married, whether you're a parent or you're not. But I, I, I think particularly of mothers who are experiencing postpartum depression in which there was a dream, there's a hope, and, and there's something that is not lining up to how they envisioned it. And, and we suddenly have life that is painful and life that is different. You could apply this in a million things, marriages that have broken up, uh, loss, unexpected loss. Uh, and you fill in your blank on this. But for so many of us, we find ourselves in a spot where, where life isn't how we planned it. And, and now we're just going through the motions saying, is this it? Is this it? I talked to a young couple this week who is living together and, and they're saying in, in different words, but they're saying, is this it? Is this it? I also talked to a couple in their 60s who are wildly successful. They have achieved everything in business that could be achieved. They, they truly have made it to the mountaintop of business, and yet they're putting their hope essentially in uh, accumulation of things and the fact that, oh, we can't figure any of this out, so I guess this is it. But that's hard when you're standing over the casket. 
We talked to a mother this week who described uh, just feeling like she'd made such a mess of her life in which God couldn't receive her. And she's saying like, is this it? And I just fear, and I think that this is probably true, that there are people in here today that wonder, is this it? And I hope that you hear from these parables and what we sit in today in that God opening a window past just memorize these facts, he opens a window through these parables, which might like let you see that this is not it, (laughs) that there's so much more happening. And these parables, sometimes we just think of them as like, oh, these are nice, happy stories and they, they help us get it. No, these parables for people that are going through life with these zombie hearts are like a stint that a doctor would put in. A stint that the doctor puts in these arteries that opens it up. It allows the blood to flow again. It allows everything to, to get its nutrients. And the stint doesn't save, right? The stint, the stint doesn't save. It actually allows for blood to flow. And that's what these parables do. These parables are not just happy stories. These parables bring grace. They bring grace. They shed light on God's grace. And these parables bring judgment. And they show, they they reveal the judgment of God in which there is a way to hope and life or or there's a way to death. And these, these parables actually reveal that. They bring us something. And so today, what I want to do is simply walk through this in Mark chapter four. And I want to kind of lay out these parables, give a little bit of explanation to this, and then just talk about what, where this is and how this applies to our life. How, how are we supposed to take away these things? Because Jesus quite literally mixes his metaphors right now. He's given three different mer- metaphors right here. And yet what we want to see is why Jesus links these together and why these metaphors, though we could spend weeks in them individually, why these metaphors, why these parables actually help paint this really big picture of the grace and love of God for each of us, not just in some far off spot, but today, today. Okay, so jump in with me. We're here in in Mark chapter four. And if you get to the beginning of Mark chapter four, it actually gives this, he says this in verse three, it says, listen, Listen, in verse nine, he says, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like what's coming out of Jesus is not just uh, like something to take and then put on the back cabinet for later. Like hear, pay attention. If you have ears, uh, like pay attention to this. Grab hold of this. Don't miss it. And so he starts in verse 21 with this parable of the lamp. And again, Fresh ears, fresh eyes to this, because maybe if you're like me and you grew up in, in the Western Hemisphere, you've heard this a million times. And so you may have sang songs about this. You, you may have heard little rhymes, but hear it again with fresh ears. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Like it, it's... It's intuitively obvious from how this is out there. Like who brings a lamp out to be put under a bed? That's, that's how this is coming out. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so you have this, it's like, it's, 
it, it's pretty straightforward. Like who, who brings out a light immediately to hide that light? That's just not what lights are for. That's not what's happening here. And, and one of the things that I think that we need to highlight in this is, is not just the obviousness of it, but like even the, gra- the grammar of it. Now, I'm a kid who, in eighth grade, when you're, when you're learning how to diagram sentences, when you're doing all those things, I had to go back and apologize to my eighth grade English teacher. I, I did not pay attention to any of those things. Uh, but later on in life, I started to pay attention. And, and there are things like that actually matter in all this. And one is that this text, this actual description, uses a, a direct object. It's like right here, this is, or, or I'm sorry, a definitive article. You see my grammar weakness right there. A direct object, a a definitive article for this. Like it's actually not talking about all lamps, so that applies. We're not talking about like every lamp in every condition because this uses this definitive article, this A, this the, uh, it is speaking to something specific. Now think about that. Who brings out the lamp? Jesus is talking here and he's given this picture. Who brings out the lamp and hides that. And Jesus is naming what's happening here. Does does the lamp come in order to be put under a basket or under a bed? Jesus is making a statement here and we need to catch that. We need to recognize it. Who puts the lamp under this. That, de- that definitive article actually matters. Now, now move forward in this, and we're going to go to the second parable that's right here, uh, the parable of the seed. And this one comes out, so we move from lights to seeds instantly, and Jesus seems to have no problem with this. And so we'll read it, verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man, a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and and the seed sprouts and grows. I love this line right here. Catch this. He knows not how. That's a key force in this. This is really important because he's like, this person who scatters the seed, we could say like this farmer who's going to tend this, all of this stuff, like he doesn't know how. Come on now. Things happen underground that this person does not understand and can't make happen. He he just doesn't know how. Next verse, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. One of the things that's really important in this is like, there's an actual, like there's there's the miracle of science in this. There's the miracle that is happening. We can try to explain all of it, but like, it's just straightforward here. Jesus is saying like something is happening underground and even the farmer doesn't know how. We can explain it in a lot of ways. We can do all sorts of things and we've gotten really good at explaining a lot of things, but the growth comes from the creator. The growth comes from the creator in this. And yet, if you're like me, when I'm deep in my zombie heart, when I'm, when I'm not feeling and I'm just going through life, when I'm not actually awake to what the Lord is doing, when I'm not paying attention and I'm just grinding out the next thing that has to be happened, what I end up doing is I try to produce the growth myself. 
I try to make it happen. And yet Jesus gives this parable of a seed in which there's the job of the farmer, they scatter the seed. And then even that one doesn't know how it works. Gross. Because that's how God intended it. And so we have this coming in, and then we have this third parable that comes up, this parable of the mustard seed. And we'll read this, verse 30. It says, and he said, with, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So fascinating because it's like, we read this about the mustard seed and and rightly much is made about the small uh, insignificance of the mustard seed. And yet what we find is like by God's grace through his means, that smallness, that thing that seems insignificant actually turns out to be a real blessing, not just to the the mustard tree now itself, but to all sorts of things around it. What seems insignificant is actually tremendously valuable and full of significance. It's in, the, it's in the mixing of the metaphors. Like we could sit in each one of these, but it's in the, it's in the mixing of these metaphors in which we see, and we start to see this big picture that Jesus is painting in all of it. And so let's kind of shift for the rest of our time into seeing and unpacking kind of what we have when we look at all three. What do we get when we have all three? And what are we, what are we supposed to take away from this? Well, like the first thing I would highlight to you is that Jesus is the lamp. He is the lamp that is being described. He is the light. He is the one who brings light. He is the ultimate meaning of all of it. Without that lamp, you'd remain in darkness. Without the lamp being lit, the lamp, there's no meaning. There's no truth. There's no real beauty and reality. There's, there's none of that. It's the light, the, the lamp that illuminates and reveals. So without Jesus, without Jesus, we struggle to find meaning. Without Jesus, we, we, we think we, we know things. And we can know history and we can, we can even come up with philosophies. We can come up with all sorts of explanations. And yet without Jesus, it's like, at the end of the day, you're left saying, why? I had this conversation with one of my uncles the other day. And, and at the end of the day, his explanation to life and meaning is that, hey, we just don't know. We're just all kind of lizards on this rock. There's just not a lot of hope in that. I came across this quote by Stephen Hawking, one of like, if not the smartest man that has been in our century, like one of them. Stephen Hawking's like this uh, super mega ultra physicist who thinks about things that my brain couldn't even comprehend. And and Stephen Hawking's, the one who wrote a book, I I mean, there's some hubris here. His his book, I think it's titled The Theory of Everything. But Stephen Hawking's this incredibly brilliant thinker 
said, like, the meaning of life is summed up and found in, of all things, what would you fill in the blank? What do you think the smartest guy around would put in for the meaning of life? He put in, he said, like, in work, we find the meaning and purpose of life. Work. What a, what a sorry answer. <laughs> and we should work hard. We should apply ourselves. And work brings so much to it, but it doesn't answer like, where's life found? Where's hope found? What is this all about? We can't find any of those in this. And so it's, it's grace in these parables that we actually get meaning, that we see these things. It's grace when, when all we get is our own philosophies, when we, all we get is like work is the answer. What you see is how man, each of us try to light these little fires. We try to light our own little fires. We try to light candles all around the house. And at best, what we get from those are are just shadows. Poorer reflections of the real thing. But when the, the light shines, when Jesus, this light, shines. What we get is grace and we see the meanings of things. We, we see the meaning for marriage. We see the meaning for life. We see the meaning for work even. We see the meaning for family. We see, we see the meaning even for pain and suffering. We see meaning in everything when the light shines in it. It also, with that grace, we also get the judgment that comes because it reveals, that light reveals things too. It reveals that I'm a messed up dude. It reveals that I have a desperate need for a savior. It reveals that like I'm more fearful and more prideful and more cowardly and more shameful than I'd like to admit. It reveals all these things. It reveals both where grace is found and it reveals that I'm not quite as good as I think I am. See, Jesus is the light that is being described and that light both illuminates and it reveals. It leads to grace or it leads to judgment. But it's present and it really can't be ignored even though we try. We come up with all these other excuses. We come up with all sorts of other things. But it points us back to him. John 1 says this. John 1 verse 9 says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, the light has come. He comes with grace and he comes with judgment. The second thing I would say is that Jesus, what we see in these parables, when we see all of them, Jesus is the power at work in unseen places. Jesus is the power that lights up the darkness. Jesus is the power at work under the soil. Jesus is the power that works in places that you and I can't see, that you and I don't even realize are in darkness. Jesus is the one, this, this fragile seed, this word of Jesus, the, the kingdom of God is overseen by the power of God. It's, it's God at work when the farmer has no idea. It's God at work. 
And yet, I find in my own heart how often I try to make it happen. I try to, to step in and do this. I'm reminded of this children's story, and we have some pictures of it. I don't presume that you can read it or, or, or even would want to right now, but maybe you're familiar with those children's stories about frog and toad. And frog and toad have something. Well, this one's about the garden. And for frog and toad, like they're talking about something and toad walks up or hops up or however all that works. And it's like, man, you've got a garden. That's awesome. I want a garden as well. And so frog in his kindness gives him some seed and toad goes off and throws the seed. Sound familiar? Throws the seed, puts the seed in the ground. And then is like, where is it? Where's the growth? Why is this not happening? And you move on in the, in, in the story and what you find is like, okay, the toad's got to make it happen. And so he sings all night over the seed to, to make it comfortable. And then he reads stories to it. And then he's he trying to help it out in every way. And then he dances around all the seed. And he's like, come on, little seed. This seed must be the most scared seed on God's earth. And you, as you go on in the story, what you find out is like uh, the frog comes and is like, Toad, you got to see this. You got to see this. Look, there's a sprout right there. And Toad gets up and is like, yes, finally, there's some growth. All that singing and dancing produced. He said, I'm so happy to have a garden now. And you were right, frog. It's a lot of work. And I think that actually sums up us in so many ways. That we think that all of our singing and dancing, all of our, our, our kind of be good, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps actually produces growth in our life. When the only thing that produces growth and real growth is God's grace. Turning and yielding and stopping and saying, it's all your grace, God. I desperately need you. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you've been trying so hard to grow your faith. And maybe you've been trying so hard to be a better person. Maybe you've been trying so hard to stop that habit or to stop being fearful or to, to uh, overcome anxiety. Maybe you've been carrying something that you couldn't even name at this point and you've just said, I've done everything, God, where are you? And maybe what you're missing is the fact that you don't actually have to do everything. You actually stop and say, God, it's only you. It's always and only you. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning and that's what these parables start to unlock and highlight. Let me bring this up as well. Jesus is able to bring beauty. One other thing that we see here in this passage is that Jesus is able to bring beauty and blessing from what seems insignificant and even worthless. Jesus is able to bring beauty from that. And maybe you need to hear this morning that what you're carrying, what you're feeling like is a complete brokenness in your life. Maybe what you are most embarrassed by, most shamed of, feeling like this is actually the worst moment of your life. Maybe what you need to hear is that God is this redeeming God who takes our brokenness and brings life and beauty and hope and he can redeem that. 
and use it to bless others. I think of friends who have gone through divorce, painful, like really hard things, and yet God is, has used that to minister to others. It wasn't how they planned it. It wasn't how they wanted it. It wasn't any of those things. And yet God was redeeming. And bringing his redeeming love into all of it. You see, what we look for is, is God to show up in the lightning bolt and God to show and like show up, strike it, and then instant growth right there. We've got the miracle grow and we've got everything. We have our microwaves and we're all kind of conditioned to instant growth. Make this happen right now in my life, God, or else I won't believe you. And yet God slow bakes so much in our life. And we think of it as, in, we remember this actual story is a slow bake, right? For 400 years, the Israelites slow baked. And then there was a manger in which a baby was born and no one paid any attention. And for 33 years, this guy walked around and he had a small band of people that walked with him and no one really paid a lot of attention. And then it got some stuff, but they were insignificant. And why does this matter? And then he died and people went on with their life, except not everyone did. And then he rose again. And most of the world moved on. And yet 2,000 years later, Some estimates, are, all the estimates are all over the place and stuff, but two billion people claim the name of Christ. And in every country on the planet, in every place, even where there is no gospel witness, God through his spirit is working in soil in which no one could even name or see. This God is working. He's bringing beauty from brokenness. He's bringing significance where it seems none in things that we would name as worthless or the most painful parts of our life. God can redeem and bring blessing. But this passage, this passage ends with something significant for it. It ends with an explanation and I don't want us to miss it. And so I want to read it again. It's in verses 33 and 34. He says this, With many parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Remember, what does it take to be a disciple? There's no like resume. You don't turn in your CV and hope to get the call back. There's no interview process. The standard for being a disciple is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. If you have a little bit, it is there for you. If you have, if you have this and you say, God, help me, help me follow you. Like it's there. There's grace and there's judgment. To those that aren't interested in me as a disciple, it's just left at, at a parable. And to those in which follow Jesus, the disciples heard everything. 
It saw the meaning and the, the significance of all of this. And, and if we just stopped there, we would ask this question. I would leave driving home with this question, but how? What does that actually look like to move past just the stained glass word of being a disciple? Like, how does this play out in our life? What does that mean? And he, he says this earlier on. You may have noticed that I skipped it. It's verses 23 through 25. When we ask this how question, I come right back to this. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see, the the how is not clean up your life and come back. The the how is not pray a prayer and really mean it this time. Really mean it. Like in here, mean it. The how is, is pay attention. Pay attention to the words of God, the words of life, the words that are here is telling you there's hope to be found. There's meaning in all of this. If you have ears to hear, hear. Pay attention and hold on to Jesus because these parables hold both grace and judgment. Those stints that open us up to not just walk through life or walk through another service with our head down, just saying, how do I grind this out? But the the stints that open us up to, to life, to functioning, to feeling, and to walking in this again. And so my prayer for you today is that you would stop and that you would say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? And help me to believe all of it.